Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 95. Bonus Episode. Pride and Humility, with Cullen Herrot from the Ready to Stand podcast. Hello, lovely people. David here. For the past few weeks, we've heard quite a lot from Andrew. We've had him interviewing uh, Max McLean from the Fellowship of Performing Arts. And I've also included two episodes that he recorded with Shane Morris from the Upstream podcast. Well, today, it's my turn. I was invited onto a radio show in Nebraska by Cullen Herrett, and he wanted to talk about humility and pride, uh, particularly with an eye to what C.S. Lewis had to say on those subjects. And since I really love C.S. Lewis and am also an expert on humility, I jumped to the chance. So here's the episode. Standing for life. Personally opposed does nothing to actually stand up for the protection of innocent human beings. It does nothing to help. Sidewalk counselors are heroes. Standing for truth. What is this guy talking about? Those are not philosophical questions. You got three days in the belly of a giant fish trying to figure out why you went west when God specifically told you to go east. But we all do this. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to heal broken. This is Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Here's your host, Cullen Harrod. This is your home for honest discussion on how to build a culture of life right here, right now. Cullen at kvss.com is the email, C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Throughout the Easter season, we have been talking about how to advance or begin to develop a culture of life by growing closer to our Heavenly Father, weeding out the sin in our lives, more fully living our vocation. And we're going to continue on that path today. We're going to talk about the sin of pride and the virtue of humility. And of course, we're going to use C.S. Lewis as our guide. And very excited today to be joined by David Bates. David is a C.S. Lewis connoisseur, and he is the host of the Pints with Jack podcast, podcast all about C.S. Lewis, and he is going to help us dive in today. David and his wife, Marie, also recently announced that they're expecting their first child, which is very exciting. David Bates, congratulations on the baby, and welcome to Ready to Stand. Thank you very much. It's all very exciting, both an upcoming child and an opportunity to talk about Lewis. Now, should I expect a C.S. Lewis-oriented name uh, when a child (laughs) arrives? Uh, Don't be too surprised if that happens, but uh, I still have five more months to convince my wife that this is really what she wants to do. Well, I trust that you've already gotten started with that. <laughs> so you do host the uh, the Pints with Jack podcast, but maybe we can start here. Why don't you take a minute, tell us a little bit about the podcast, and maybe for those who are unfamiliar, what's the significance of the name Jack? Sure thing. Well, I was introduced to Narnia at a very young age, literally the earliest things I can ever remember being read to me. And so I loved Narnia, and I rediscovered it again in my 20s. And at this time, I was uh, coming to uh, a greater grasp of my faith, greater love of the Lord. And so I started reading some of C.S. Lewis's other books, like Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters. And then a few years ago, I met a guy called Matt at a party, and we discovered that we both had a mutual love of C.S. Lewis. So we started a local book club, and then that quickly became a podcast where we work through the works of C.S. Lewis chapter by chapter. 
and we've done Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, Till We Have Faces, and we're just wrapping up the Screwtape Writers. And we call the podcast Pints with Jack, because Jack was Lewis's nickname from a very young age. It was what his friends would call him. He didn't like the name Clive, <laughs> and so... <laughs> Yeah, so I think they started calling him Jaxie, right? And then as he grew up, yes. people that knew him. It, it then got shortened. Yes, he wasn't a great fan of his name. Uh, your listeners may have read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and it has a wonderful beginning. It says, there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. That is quite autobiographical, because you might as well say, there once was a boy named Clive Staples Lewis. And he almost deserved it. And then, of course, Eustace grows up and, and becomes this great Narnian hero, uh, much like Lewis grows up and becomes uh, a great Christian apologist. You start yes. each of your podcasts, David, with a quote of the week. Uh, so in honor of you and your podcast, I'm going to start with a quote. And this is from uh, Mere Christianity. And the chapter is called The Great Sin. And Lewis says, quote, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is through pride that the devil became the devil. End quote. So, David, how would Lewis describe pride, and why is the struggle between pride and humility kind of at the heart of Christian morality? Well, a little bit earlier in Mere Christianity, he's written about sexual morality, and he says that a lot of people think that this is the central part of Christian morality. Uh, but as you can see from the quotation that you just read, he says, no, that's not the case. The, the, the real issue is pride. And he says that all other vices, they're like flea bites in comparison, because he says that pride leads to every other vice. He even describes it as the complete anti-God state of mind. And uh, this pride, this self-conceit, uh, it, it, it's really problematic because the essence of it is competition. Uh, in Mere Christianity, he's, he asks his readers, if they'd like to find out how prideful they are, he says, how much do you dislike it when other people snub you or don't take any notice of you or interfere or patronize you or show off? And this question is so revealing because if we're very prideful, uh, uh, if, if the person at the party who's, who's being the big noise, who's drawing all the attention, if we're prideful, that will really annoy us because we wanted to be the big noise. We wanted to be the center of attention because the essence of pride is competition. And he says that, that people talk about being proud of being rich or clever or good-looking. He says it's not really that. People are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than other people. He says it's the comparison which makes us proud. And, and the pleasure that we get from this is being better than everyone else. And he even goes so far as to say that he thinks most of the greed and selfishness in the world is really just a result of pride. Lewis also says that pride can be easily smuggled into religion. What does he mean by that? Talk about the relationship between pride and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Well, in that particular chapter, he's, he's, he's unpacked what pride is. He's spoken about how it is uh, essentially competitive, uh, and he's also said that it is this anti-God state of mind, because if pride is essentially competitive, well, then you're going to run into real problems when you start dealing with God, because there you have someone who is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. 
And so not only does pride separate us from each other, because it's competitive, it separates us from God. But then there's a very obvious question that a non-believer would then ask. Well, how is it that people who claim to be religious, who believe in God, and actually even think themselves as very good people, how is it that they can be so obviously eaten up with pride? And Lewis says that it's because they're worshipping an imaginary God. He says, well, of course, they'll admit that in theory they're nothing in comparison to God. But he says that they actually devote quite a considerable amount of time to thinking about, firstly, how much God approves of them, and also how much better they are than other people. And the biblical example we have of this is in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. On the one hand, you have the religious man who is full of pride, and you have the humble sinner who asks for mercy, praying a prayer which we in the Byzantine Church called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jack even goes so far as to say that if our religious life makes us think a lot of ourselves and a lot about ourselves, uh, particularly if we think that we're better than others, the spirit that's working on us, it's not from God. In contrast, when the spirit of God is working on us, we'll either see our smallness, our weakness, our need, or even better than that, we'll just forget about ourselves altogether. And that's what he regards as humility. David Bates is my guest here. This is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Uh, Lewis says in that chapter, he says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And I think this kind of goes to the heart a little bit about what you're saying there. Absolutely. You're not going to be able to outdo God in any capacity. So therefore, if you're proud, you, you can't have communion with him because you're thinking so much about yourself. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is why humility is so important. It's the virtue uh, that's the flip side of pride. And there's a quotation that you'll often see quoted on the Internet, attributed to Lewis. It's actually from Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, but it, it definitely expresses Lewis's thought on the matter. And the misattributed quotation is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So for Lewis... Humility is all about turning your gaze away from yourself, turning your gaze outward towards your neighbors and towards God. So it's funny that you should bring that quote up because I actually have that quote down here as a misinterpreted quote. And I was going to bring that up in terms of, okay, how is it that exactly uh, humility is something that we should practice in our lives, of course, as the antidote uh, to pride? Uh, and I was, <laughs> was going to throw that out there to you uh, as a misattributed quote and let you kind of uh, take it away. But you are way ahead of me there, uh, so that's very good. <laughs> well, I, I think what, what Lewis himself actually offers us the first step in acquiring humility. He says, the first thing, if you want to become humble, is to realize that you're proud. So I don't know about you, but even as I say that, even as I read that in the book, realize that I am proud. It's like, no, I'm, I'm actually quite good. Immediately, my pride starts to kick in because I want to defend my own honor because I, I think so much of myself. Whereas for Lewis, realize you're proud and then almost forget about it. He, he, in his letters, he writes to people when he talks about when you confess your sins to God, then forget about it. Move on. Don't, don't spend all of your time navel-gazing. Look out of yourself. Look to your neighbor. Look to God. It's, it's, when we, it's when we turn our gaze outward that our lives open up and we can open our arms to God 
to receive grace. In one of his other books called The Great Divorce, you see character after character turned in on themselves. They are consumed with the things that they want, and they're consumed with, uh, with their own personalities, and they end up being these husks of people. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I, I think I've mentioned to you maybe before that The Grace Divorce is my favorite of all the Lewis Burks, and he has such a way of making sin seem sort of petty or minuscule when it's compared to things of heaven or the, the valley of the shadow of life, as he calls it in the book. How is it that Lewis does that? What does he do that makes sin seem so petty and something like humility seems so bright and so real and so uh, something that is so appealing? It's hard to say, but I think a large part of it is just that he is such a fantastic writer that he can give us images to be able to see these spiritual realities that could otherwise be a little abstract or hard to understand. So in The Great Divorce, we see what great saints look like. There's this one character called Sarah Smith, and she is, on earth, somebody utterly insignificant, somebody you'd have never have noticed. But we see how she's glorified in heaven, how her small acts of charity throughout her life yielded a beautiful character. And likewise, we see the effects of sin in The Great Divorce, where we see these people who are consumed with themselves uh, fading into nothingness. There was a phrase that was used by St. Augustine and taken up by Martin Luther called incavatus in se, the idea of a soul turned in on itself. And, and, and that leads just to smallness and pettiness. And there's even a line in another of Lewis's works, I think it's in Mere Christianity, where he says that all of the great tyrants of the world, they look the same. But the, the saints, they're gloriously diverse as, as, they, as they open themselves up to the life of God and allow God to work through them. Of course they're going to become greater than they could be otherwise. What a really great observation that is. And that, that story of Sarah Smith uh, from Golders Green, right towards the end of The Great Divorce, reminds me of the quote that is at the end of the chapter in Mere Christianity on Pride. And Lewis describes what a really humble person would look like. And he says <laughs> he will not be a sort of greasy smarmy person who was always telling you, of course, that he is a nobody. Oh, I'm no big deal. Probably all that you're really going to think about a humble person is that he seemed sort of a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. This seems like a cross between an instruction manual and sort of like a goal that we need to strive for. Absolutely. And this is what makes Lewis such a wonderful writer. We sometimes think that he's giving us pure teaching, but very often he's presenting us with an image to inspire us to fill our imagination so that we actually desire holiness. We, we desire goodness in a way that we might not otherwise. And, and he does this masterfully also the other way around in the Screwtape Letters. So in that book, he speaks a lot about pride and humility. And for those who haven't encountered the book before, they're letters from a senior demon to a junior demon explaining how to tempt a human that's been assigned to this junior demon. And in one of the letters, the senior demon explains how to undo the human's growing humility. He writes, all virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at a moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. And, of course, the senior demon says that the human might realize that he's becoming proud and push back against it. And he says, well, in that case, make him proud of his vigilance and holiness. He even says you can do this for quite a while. 
but best not to do it for too long. Otherwise, you'll awaken his sense of humor and proportion, and he'll just laugh at you and go to bed. You touched on this a little bit earlier. I, uh, that that uh, that passage sort of cracks me up that you would have a patient that is laughing at the devil uh, because of the <laughs> silliness and the way that he's tempting him. Uh, we touched on a little a little bit earlier, uh, and we talk about all these vices become less formidable to us once the patient is aware of them, meaning once the patient knows he's humble, just like you described, then pride immediately begins to set in. What is the antidote to that? I mean, what's the response when we're, you know, in any kind of virtue, it's almost like it's hard to develop virtue because we're striving for it. And when we see progress, we know that we're getting it. But once we know that we're getting it, it's kind of this circular (laughs) and it's back to pride again. Like, how do we get out of that circle? I think it really comes back to what we said before, self-forgetfulness. Uh, uh, there are examples in all of Lewis's works, definitely some in The Great Divorce and in Screwtape, where he speaks that you can be humble and still recognize that you have received gifts. You know, when you try and give someone a compliment sometimes, they'll say, oh, no, no, I, I'm not good at this, when they clearly are. <laughs> and Lewis would want us to be able to recognize that God has given us gifts, natural talents, and it's good to be able to recognize them and even say that you're good at something. But the problem is, is when you just stay there, when you focus in on yourself, if God has given you the gift to be able to speak to people, to be able to produce beautiful art, etc., then you can use it for the glory of God. But that requires you to look out from yourself. It's again, when you come, become consumed on yourself, that's when all this stuff begins to fester. And, you know, this the spring water that would otherwise give people life uh, starts to become stagnant because it doesn't get to flow anywhere and it doesn't get to be offered up to God in worship. David Bates is my guest here. This is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. David, in that uh, chapter on humility in the Screwtape Letters, uh, Lewis gives the example of a man who builds a cathedral. Can you talk a little bit about that example and what Lewis is kind of trying to tell us there? Well, the example that he gives is of an architect who has built this great cathedral. And the temptation is to try and diminish the the beauty of what's been made. Uh, But Lewis doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be able to recognize things that are good, true, and beautiful, but to turn them over to the service of God. And the, the Church has got a long history of producing things that are good, true, and beautiful. But when they use the signposts for the divine, when they, when they point us back to the higher things, and they point us back to God and to heaven, then they can be praised even more freely, uh, because our egos aren't getting caught up in them. Because that, when, we, when we do that, when we associate the thing we've made with our own self-worth, that's when pride starts to come in. So, by all means, produce the best art, the best music, the greatest cathedrals, and enjoy them. But forget about yourself. At the very end of Mere Christianity, Lewis tells us that, give yourself over to Christ, because then you will have everything. It's, it's similar to what Jesus said about, seek first the kingdom, and all this, all this other stuff will be added later. But it's when we seek Christ, when we turn to him, when we turn out from ourselves, that that's when, when we truly live. It's when we, when we try and just hang on to everything for, for our own uh, self-esteem, for our own pride, for our own glory. That's when things go wrong. Yeah, and he's talking, when he talks about the cathedral, he gives this really beautiful illustration, and I don't have the quote exactly in front of me, but he says, basically, a man should be able to build a cathedral and then feel no better or worse about it than if somebody else had done it. 
or no more express no more enjoyment or appreciation for it than if somebody else had done it versus if he had actually done it himself. Meaning we should rejoice in the talents of others just as much as we also rejoice in the talents of ourselves. Because then you're truly enjoying the goodness for its own sake, not just because of the glory that it reflects back on you. David Bates is my guest here. I want to go back to pride for a second. Lewis does distinguish between pride and some of the other things uh, that maybe get confused for pride. And I read through this chapter and I go back to you. When I first started doing some writing, uh, one of the first articles that I published was a guest post on a fairly popular Catholic blog site. And it was a post on fatherhood. And I just had gone down some of my uh, the reasons that I enjoyed being a father, some of the blessings that it had brought me in my life. And then I did what any uh, good, brand new, first-time writer would do, and I went to the comment section and started engaging with people, uh, which I eventually <laughs> learned not to do. Uh, but So people then would accuse me, and at some point I said something like, I'm really proud of my kids. I'm proud of uh, the fact that I, that I am raising these kids and the fact that uh, you know I have them in my life and I'm taking care of them and all this other stuff. There's a difference between pride on the one hand versus being proud of something on the other hand. What would Lewis say is the difference between those two things? Well, the word pride has got quite a bit of semantic range. So just being praised for something in itself, that, that's not necessarily pride. What is it that we are all hoping to hear Christ say on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that praise if I've earned it. And I know that this, when, when, I, when I'm feeling pride in that, in that manner, it's because I have pleased somebody who I've wanted to please. That's, that's what I'm taking pride in, not simply the fact that I've, I've been praised for something. Uh, and Oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll use the word pride. We take pride in our school. We take pride in our house. We take pride. What we mean is just that we have affection for these things. And they're very often things that uh, we're encouraged in Christianity uh, to have affection for. I, I would hope to be proud of my parents and proud of my children and proud of my siblings. Uh, that this, this is not the same thing as the, the diabolical pride that Lewis talks about in, in the other cases. Apart from anything else, because we're, we're looking out from ourselves. It's, when I can be proud of my son, it's because I can praise him for, for who he is. And again, my, my gaze is taken away from myself and onto somebody else. Yeah, and that's essentially what Lewis says I think the end goal is, right? The less we focus on ourselves, the more we're turned outward, then the better off we're going to be. The more, you know, as Screwtape would say, in the enemy's service, that we would be. And of course, we understand that to mean the closer that we get in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And there really is sort of a bottom line here, it seems, that inward bad, outward good, right? We should get over ourselves and we should be concerned about other people. Exactly. And when you read the, the story of Lewis's life, you see that he was effectively uh, schooled in this uh, through all of the difficulties and adversities that he had. And it, whether it was turning up on the front lines in France for World War I on his 19th birthday, whether it was taking in the mother of a comrade that he promised to look after, who uh, got more and more increasingly difficult over, over time, whether it was his wife dying of cancer, whether it was his own health issues. In, in all of these moments, Lewis has uh, a choice as to, uh, is he going to turn in on himself, or is he going to turn outwards? And 
Another very prominent Lewisian idea that you find in all of his works is this idea of heavenly and hellish creatures. The idea that there are no small decisions, there are no small events, because everything that we do is going to be shaping our inner self. It's going to be turning us in one direction or the other, either a little bit toward, more towards heaven or a little bit more towards you know, the other place. And, and if we are constantly taking each event and making sure that, that we're responding in such a way that we are made a little bit more heavenly, that, 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 that will then, in the end, make us fit for heaven. There's a line right at the end of his essay, The World's Last Night, which is probably like top five on my Lewis writings. I really enjoy that essay a lot. But he says, I don't find things such as catastrophe or natural disaster uh, super motivating to get me to think about the afterlife. Uh, but what he does say is helpful is to think of each of these events, these day-to-day things, in terms of how they will look when the irresistible light of heaven shines in upon them. So if we can stop at each moment, you're talking about heavenly and hellish creatures, if we can stop at each moment and sort of examine our behavior in terms of how it's going to look when God comes and asks us about it at the end of time, then that is usually good enough to set us in the right direction. It's very good to put things back into perspective. So I don't know about you, but in, in the day-to-day, somebody cutting me up in traffic in that moment seems far, far, far more uh, important than it actually really is. Uh, and so some things I need to let go of much more readily. But almost in the opposite direction, those small acts of charity that I can either uh, choose to give or to withhold, likewise, when put in the light of eternity, they become much more important. David Bates is the host of the Pints with Jack podcast. David, where can people go to find the podcast and find some of your work? Well, we're on all of the major networks. Our website is pintswithjack.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram. And as I mentioned earlier, Lewis is often misquoted. And so one of the things that we try and do is keep pumping out legitimate Lewis quotations with citations. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, our website is pintswithjack.com. And for those of your listeners who are on MySpace, we are also on MySpace because uh, everybody's abandoning Facebook at the moment. And I say, let's, let's just go back to MySpace when everything was wonderful. Uh, you're the first person I've ever had on this show who has a MySpace account. That is, that is fa- it takes me back in time. <laughs> I feel like well, a kid again. Well, well, you know, Lewis often fought against chronological snobbery. The idea that new, new is always better. So I'm, I'm, I, I think we should we should go retro. Let's, let's all go back to MySpace and leave Facebook to do its thing. Amen. Hey, no arguments here. And the next time uh, you come on, we're going to talk about his chronological snobbery and why all progress is not good progress. How does that sound? That sounds great to me. All right, David Bates, host of Pints with Jack podcast. David, really appreciate the time today. Good stuff. Thank you. That's great. All right, Colin at KVSS.com is the email, C-U-L-L-E-N at KVSS.com. Be sure to check out SpiritCatholicRadio.com slash ready to stand for more information. Keep it tuned right here, 24-7 Catholic programming, 365 days a year. That is going to do it for me this week. want to thank you for spending your time with me this afternoon. I will talk to you next week. God bless you. Be ready to stand. And as always, be not afraid. You've just heard Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Send your questions and comments to Cullen at KVSS.com. That's Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N, at KVSS.com. 
Be ready to stand every Saturday afternoon at 5 and Sunday afternoon at 5.30. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Please join us again on Tuesday when I'll be interviewing Rod Bennett and talking about the connection between C.S. Lewis and Pulp Fiction. So please join us then when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers.